are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Seconds left, he's got the ball, he should have it. Isaiah hangs out of the ball, flips it up to the Raptors. Detroit is the city of champions again. Detroit Basketball! What is happening? And welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Friday, May the 1st, and picking the final four today. This is your boy, Matt Shook, the host of the Lock On Pistons podcast, the sports writer here in Detroit City covering sports gambling for PlayMichigan.com. Pistons fan and follower my whole life and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well. Thanks for spreading the word as we go on to May. Sad to report April the 1st, year-over-year year loss in downloads ever in the history of Lockdown Pistons all this last year. I've been telling you guys, record month, record month. Well, now, not only was this not a record month, we went down from a year ago last April. Explainable, though, with the Pistons being in the playoffs last April and leading up to it as well. A couple of meaningful regular season games to end last season. Exciting times, relatively speaking, to be a Pistons fan. Not so much this April, so let's do better in May. I'll promise to deliver on some draft content this month, and we'll do a good job. I'm, I'm trying to track down a special guest for next week that I'm excited about as well. But today, a special treat to start off the month as we are cutting down the most influential Pistons of all time bracket from the Elite Eight to the Final Four leading up to next week when we're going to make the even tougher decisions, but some tough decisions were made this week. And I got some special guests today to present this week's version of the bracket. Give me a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore for that. Also the Locked on Pistons Twitter account, and check us out on Facebook at Locked on Pistons dash Matt Shook. But without further ado, today's episode is basically just going to be me rapping with two of my oldest chums, I guess you could say, my two older brothers. That's right, my oldest brother Brian, my middle brother Scott, uh, the, the Shook boys are doing a podcast together for the first time Maybe the last time, who knows. Uh, and we haven't been in the same room, the three of us together, in a long, long time. So this is a special treat for you guys. Of course, a virtual room. It was done over Zoom over the weekend. And uh, good to catch up with the bros. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to see them in the flesh maybe a little bit more often in the coming uh, summer. Uh, hang out, do some family time. But this is what we got these days, right? The Zoom calls, like I'm sure you guys are all doing with your family and friends. So here we go. Matt Shook and his older brothers, Brian Shook, who's the oldest, and my middle brother, Scott Shook, joining us on the Lockdown Pistons podcast. Thanks to those guys. And here we go, cutting down to the final four. All right, and everyone is doing family Zooms during the quarantine, so I figured I'd knock out a little bit of my work and get this done at the same time. So I got the services of my two older brothers to help us out with the most influential Pistons of all time bracket. We've got the Elite Eight going down to the final four. So first of all, Brian, my oldest brother, and Scott, my middle brother, thanks for taking the time to join us here on Lockdown Pistons. I've got nothing but time nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, I wanted to fact check some things because these guys have known me longer than anyone, being my two older brothers. And they're, like I said, two older guys, so they maybe remember the bad boys era a little bit more than I do. But uh, are there some things that you guys, you have like a first memories about the bad boys era or anything like that that uh, – that kind of stands out when thinking back about your memories as a Pistons fan? Well, personally, I remember the first time I, like, I remember being cognizant of the game was when we went to Dr. J's last game down at the Silverdome. Right. And I don't know if you've ever talked about 
of being so far up. And um, that was kind of my first memory of the Pistons, how exciting that a, a, comp- a competing team could be um, in a live uh, basketball atmosphere. That as well is the, the first thing that jumps in my mind when thinking back to the earliest Pistons memories attending that game, uh, the Dr. J farewell turn tour at the Silver Dome. Um, I just happened to look that up and see that it was a Valentine's Day. Really? Uh, I wonder if mom was mad at dad for taking us to the game that night. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, the story, the genesis of that story is that dad ends up getting given tickets to go take to, to go to the Silverdome. Obviously, there's so many seats at the Silverdome, so it's probably not a premium ticket to have for, for Dr. J on his last season goes and plays. So he takes his three young boys and our cousin Jeremy as well. And it's like one of his famous. Wasn't it uh, the Tommy? Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is, bef- I don't remember this. Like I, I, this is before my memory, but apparently we did go and, uh, and like the famous story is that you, it's all general admission seats. So he finds a bunch together and then some little brat wants to go to the bathroom. So then you got to find uh, seats again and all that kind of stuff. So kind of one of our, our dad who loves to repeat stories. That's one of his favorite, his favorite go-to stories of the years. Yeah, I mapped it out. We were eight, six, and four when we went. Fifty-two thousand people at the. I think it was an all-time attendance, or something like that, because of the the size of the Silver Dome. I do remember vaguely being there and just how enormously high you were. You could barely even recognize the basketball game going on. Mm-hmm. And one of my memories also is that I remember listening to this is nineteen ninety-one game four when the Pistons were swept by the Bulls and famously walked off the court. I remember that we were, I was, and I don't remember if you guys were both there or not, but we were driving home from up north during that game and we're listening to it on the radio. And I looked it up just now today and that would have been Memorial Day. It was on Memorial Day during the afternoon. So it checks out that we would have been up north for the holiday weekend and driving back. So one of the most influential Pistons games of all time, we didn't even watch. I I remember having a feeling in that series that our time had, that it was Michael's time. So Mm -hmm. I really remember we probably we probably would have started watching that game up north before we left mm-hmm. um possibly but i remember not having a good feeling going into that series anyway that it was uh it was about the pistons time to end an era and of course as we as we tape this it's the day before the the showing of the last dance uh chapters three and four where they're obviously going to talk about the bad boys and michael jordan a lot so by the time this episode airs maybe we'll people have some different thoughts about the bad boys but let's get into it here um Let's go with the, the bracket. All of the one seeds are left in the bracket. There are all the two seeds left except for one. Uh, Rip Hamilton kind of pulled the upset of Rashid Wallace in the, uh, the three over two seed with uh, me and Breeshan did it last week. But uh, I gave these guys the matchups, and they're going to help me out, kind of uh, blow through it. I guess we could get a two out of three vote to see if someone moves on or not. But the first one seed up in the top left bracket is Joe Dumars going up against Bill Davidson. The rules of the bracket are most influential Pistons of all time. So it's not necessarily greatest Piston of all time or most famous or anything like that, but most influential. So did you guys, uh, when, when I sent you guys earlier today, this matchup, what were the first kind of things that jumped out at you? Brian, start with you. Well, first of all, I, this is the finals to me almost. Like this is going to, you know, possibly be the, the two guys who are most instrumental in both of the Pistons, you know, eras of NBA um, dominance in some cases, I guess you could say. Um, so I thought that this was probably the most interesting battle you could have got. You could have probably made a case for this being the finals at some mm-hmm. point. But also being in a city with a football team that's won one 
playoff game in 57 years or 60 years, whatever it is now, and the one common thread has been the ownership, and you can't really point to what exactly they're doing wrong except putting the wrong people in charge of the wrong things. And for Davidson to make that choice, although the answer was twice, Joe Dumars in some capacity himself mm-hmm. had to get the right people in the right spot. And, and he did that, was able to do that twice. And in this league, there aren't any many NBA ownership groups who can talk about having two eras where they, they you know, won a championship and were, you know, two possessions away from winning an extra championship on both of those, you know, runs. So um, I, I thought Bill Davidson just because of that, but man, if there was anybody that was going to be uh, a person that you could make an argument for against him, it would have been Joe Dumars. Yeah. I think that Davidson is probably the strongest of the two seeds and probably is the one that has the best case of being a one seed. And when I put the bracket together, it was randomly matched up as far as which two seed was, which one seeds bracket. So yeah, it, it, this is kind of the, the toughest in for the final four for anyone. Scott, did you, sounds like Brian's leaning Davidson. Scott, did you have any thoughts? Uh, when I first look at it, Dumars jumps off the page of me. I mean, again, these are the two guys that, that tie both the championship uh, sections together. And uh, just on the court, just always jumps out at me. You don't see a lot of the work that Davidson done. He was never a forefront owner. You didn't hear much about him. I don't know how involved he actually was as an owner uh, in the day-to-day operations. Obviously, placing the people in the positions is an important thing. Um, but this one, Dumars jumps out at me as being the, the guy to advance just for being both involved in both eras and uh, just a vital cog of that bad boys era. Yeah, I think that what you said about Davidson putting the right people in place, that was probably his biggest strength, right? And I think it's a different era of ownership back then, too, because we think about Mark Cuban and, and Jerry Jones and all these owners that want to be really involved in everything. Back then, it was more just like a rich guy who hired people who did their jobs well, and obviously Jack McCloskey and Tom Wilson and and Chuck Daly all the way down the line, he kind of hit home runs with all those guys. So that's kind of why, and and of course, like we could have an argument that Fred Zollner was the original owner of the Pistons, so he should be the most influential, but where does that end? You know, like there's going to be someone who owns the basketball team. James Basin basketball. Yeah, yeah, so maybe his, or maybe his parents should be the most influential people because without without them, so... (laughs) So I, I, I lean Dumars just because, I mean, there's no, you know, I, I think that we're watching some of these bad boys games on Fox Sports Detroit with uh, the quarantine going on. And I think that's maybe the thing that sticks out is just how talented these guys were, especially Isaiah and Joe and the defense of Michael Jordan, specifically the Joe Dumars played to beat the Bulls uh, three years in a row to, to before they were able to, uh, to avenge them in 1991. I think that that kind of stands out. So we're going with Dumars. Dumars moves on, and uh, and Davidson, uh, of course, Mr. D, huge part of Pistons lore, and uh, we see in, in his resume even gets bolstered since he passed away because we see how things can go when you don't have as good of an owner as Bill Davidson. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it, but they did a, a video last week with the Detroit Youth Choir, which is really cool. Everyone should check it out, by the way. But they were all singing, and it was all the guards. Like, Derek Rose was in there. Isaiah was in there. Rip Hamilton was in there. Chauncey was in there. And at the end, Joe Dumars was in there. So it's kind of a maybe he's going to be coming back to the organization in some – not not in a, uh, an official role, but it was just nice to see because he, he wasn't at that anniversary last year for 15 years, and it seems like there's a little bit of a – a rift there between yeah. current ownership and Joe Dumars. So that was good to see. 
he's with the Kings right now, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's like uh, he's like a consultant, and he's he's there around the Kings sometimes. I don't know that he's like living in Sacramento or anything like that, but we get to see. Uh, so this is, I mean, this is like it all kind of worked out randomly, but for this uh, matchup here in the Elite Eight, Rip and Chauncey, of course, two guys that are thought of together in Pistons lore as the uh, the Isaiah and Joe 2.0, I guess, with the, the backcourt for going to work. Um, Chauncey being the one seed, Rip being the three seed. Is there any argument that you could make that Rip deserves the nod over Chauncey? Because it just seems like this is kind of a no-brainer, no, no disrespect to Rip, but uh, it seems like that's the case, right? Yeah, there's really not uh, any way that you can make the argument that Rip's going to advance versus him. Um, being just on the same team, and so easily comparable, Phillips just gets the nod and just about each category by a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. no disrespect, it's hard to handle loss to Hamilton, but uh, Phillips on the court presence and being kind of the speaking voice of that team, um, even post career doing so much more and keeping business, the Pistons in the news cycle just with his mentions of the team when he was playing there. Um, there's, there's really no argument to make for, for Hamilton in this one, I don't think. Brian, what do you think? And let's talk about why. It's Mr. Big Shot, right? Yeah, I mean, and the finals this guy MVP. Was, you know, the top five MVP guy. Mm-hmm. This guy was, you know, hitting every big shot. He was commanding this team on the offensive end. This team's defense was his identity, and he played a big role in that as well, being a, a pretty big guard at the time. But he, he was a, a, a pretty imposing figure at that point guard position. And – you know, every good offensive, you know, every time they needed a bucket, he was there either orchestrating it or, or knocking something big down for years. So, you know, Rip is, this is probably the only guy that Rip, you know, was so comparable with that he didn't have a chance or, you know, didn't talk about the things that were different than him because we saw it on the court and um, Chauncey was dynamic. And, yeah. And, and even their post, the post uh, championships and going to the finals in 05 as well, Chauncey gets traded and the Pistons go on the toilet. Uh, Rip Hamilton is part of kind of this mutiny against John Kuster. We're not showing up for shoot around the one day. And so it's just kind of like that kind of left a, a bad taste at the end of Rip's run with the Pistons. And obviously he goes to Chicago on his own um, to leave. So it wasn't like he was traded. Chauncey comes back to the team for his last year as well. And uh, rumored to maybe even be taking over in the front office back before they hired Ed Stefanski and, and still being a broadcaster. So yeah, it's kind of a no brainer. Well, talking about the going to work era, Brian, you brought up a point earlier that you, you work in restaurants and you had uh, the 04 group in quite a bit at, uh, at a local establishment, right? Yeah, a little, a little, um, uh, a couple years after as well, it was mainly when I saw them, they had already won the championship. Um, but those couple years after they were still competing um, against Miami in 06 had been more of the year I saw them mostly. And one of the notes I had for Chauncey winning this match was he is a great tipper. Um, because nice. he was one of the uh, one of the one of the players that consistently came in, probably on a weekly or you know t- you know two times over three weeks. Usually come in after um, well lunch rush. Uh, the location I was in was really a big lunch area, but after that he kind of sit in the corner after practice or whatever and and do his thing. It was really nice and accommodating before he got his food. Anybody you know there weren't many people in the restaurant at the time, but anybody could go up and get his autograph. And then once he got his food, just kind of you know kept everybody away. One time he came in right before they had end, I, I and I can't remember the game exactly. It was a regular season game, and they had won. It was a close game, and it was a good one. Um, and you know, it was later in the season, so that everybody in Detroit was watching those games. Well, he comes in right as we're closing, and by that time he actually knew me by first name because he he said Brian, which was 
awesome to feel. Mm-hmm. But he mm-hmm. said, um, "Your buddy's clothes." Yeah, yeah, I bet you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes, are you, "Are you guys closed?" And I said, uh, "No, not for you guys. You guys had because they had won that day. So you guys won. You can stay. You come in." <laughs> I thought it was him and his family, three people. It ended up being about fifteen people, and included Rasheed Wallace, Jason Maxiel, um, uh, Amir Johnson, uh, their girlfriends, families, whatever. And we had to stay open for about three extra hours just for that party to hang out and and. Uh, have a good time there. Fantastic. They always, you know, took care of the staff well. And um, uh, it was a cool time to see them come in. Yeah, obviously the the big celebrities in town at that time. And I think you talk, talk to everyone and, you know, you run into guys at, at bars and stuff like that. And then every story I've heard is, is a good, genuine group of guys, especially Chauncey Billups. So, yeah, Chauncey moves on and that sets up Joe Dumars versus Chauncey Billups in the final four next week. Should be interesting there to see if Chauncey can make an argument uh, I think it, it just kind of comes down to, and it kind of segues into our next our next discussion, that uh, the bad boys versus the going to work era. It's kind of this 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 thing because you have obviously the two eras, and all these guys that we're talking about are from one or the other. Or Bill Davidson and Joe Dumars are, are with both, and this this matchup kind of symbolizes that. And that's Bill Lambeer versus Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace, the one seed, Lambeer, the two seed, the two guys that were the tough guys of their era. And like I referred earlier the mascots of their era. And I know that's, I don't mean that as a joke to be a little them, but there's just, they kind of symbolize what Pistons basketball was about during that time. Uh, Did you guys first glance, just think Ben uh, as the winner and then kind of thought it over later or or what was your first reaction, Scott first to, uh, to Ben versus Bill Lambier? Obviously it's, it's even when you look at it uh, from, first glance uh but i did start leaning lambeer was okay my initial lean and mainly because he's just so synonymous with i think it's a little bit preferential with me with the bad boys it's just uh that team to me sticks out as being a little bit more uh the definition of the pistons mm-hmm. um but then i started researching it a little bit and the four time defensive player of the year for ben wallace just completely made me think that 50% of the game of basketball, he was awarded the best player in the game for mm-hmm. four years. And I just, I felt that that just made me have to put the, put the vote in his camp. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it, it, cause we kind of remember, obviously when he's, when he struggles offensively and obviously didn't impact the Pistons too much in a negative way because they had so much, so much success, but like you kind of remember the frustration of Ben Wallace, you know, missing layups or, um, you know, just not catching passes. He had those small hands and stuff. I, I feel like I, as great as Ben was, and obviously one of the all-time Pistons and, and so many more positives than negatives, you do kind of remember the frustrating feeling of watching him play sometimes. And like Scott said, for thinking back, and oh, he was the four-time defensive player of the year, that kind of like reinforces those positive things a little bit more than maybe we remember, right, Brian? Yeah, and I initially thought Ben actually going into this and actually look digging into it um, even reinforced that for me a little bit. First of all, Bill Lambeer um, is as synonymous as he was with the Bad Boy era and how he was, you know, the lifeblood of that attitude, um, and maybe outside of Isaiah Thomas, but he was part of a group that mm-hmm. included Rick Mahorn, Dennis Rodman, John Sally, uh, James Edwards, you know, great players in their own right, where Ben, I look at on that defensive side of the, the court, he, it was him and the four guys following him. It, mm-hmm. it, it all went right through him. That is athleticism, 
um, his toughness. And I like to put over, you know, we're the only people on the planet that have any positive feeling about Bill Lambeer. Like, right. let's be honest. Like, there's nobody saying Bill Lambeer's the face of our franchise with a smile on their face right. outside of Pistons, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way Ben did it is maybe a little more, less of a, a you know, kind of a pest or, uh, you know, somebody who goes over the line sometimes with the cheap shots. But look at that four-time defensive player of the year. Um, both four-time All-Stars. I was a little surprised that Bill Lambeer had gone to the All-Star game four times. Yeah, before, kind of before uh, our memory, maybe, he was a little bit better of an offensive player than we remember at the end of the Bad Boys when they, when they started winning. I mean, I think he was more dynamic of an offensive player earlier in his career. Yeah, I think he had yeah, three straight appearances at one point, 82 to 85 or something like that. And another thing that helps Ben Wallace in this argument is that he was obviously involved in the Grant Hill trade. So it's like he bridged that gap when it seemed like the Pistons were going to fall off again, that he was the guy who kind of helped lift this team, helped set that tone. And then you add Chauncey, you add uh, Rip, and then you add Tayshon and and Rashid. So it was just kind of like he was there first. So it kind of set the tone with the organization. So I think it's it's Ben. um, But, yeah, Lambeer – I think that, like, like, like you guys have mentioned, the all-star appearances for Lambeer, and, and we're in our late 30s, early 40s, maybe folks a little bit older than us would remember Lambeer as a little bit more of a dynamic offensive player and might think of him a little bit differently than we do. But it's just, just like you said, Ben Wallace with the four-time defensive player of the year and really being the face of that franchise – um, with the Afro and all the stuff that all the fans got into. I think it's... Uh, Sorry, it's not insignificant the amount of sales they got to see um, white kids with uh, Afros in the stand. So we've moved on the three one seeds so far, and then probably the guy who I think we would all agree is the best Piston player of all time is our last one seed that we're going to talk about, and that's Isaiah Thomas. Going up against Chuck Daly, a classic player versus coach matchup where... You know, was it the was it is it a players league or does a coach have a lot more to do with it? It's going to be tough to bounce Isaiah Thomas from a a bracket like this. But let's talk about Chuck Daly. Isaiah got left off the dream team, and I and Chuck Daly coached the dream team. So maybe that means Chuck Daly's better. I don't know. I don't know if we can make that jump from we we could find one. I'm trying data item. We're, we could reach for one data item that might be it. Yeah. Um, Coach first player is going to be tough in any respect, but when you're talking about Isaiah Thomas being the the face of the organization for 15 years or whatever it was, Chuck Daly's obviously in the, the final eight here. Coached the Pistons for nine years, quite successfully, two championships, many finals and uh, Western Eastern Conference finals appearances. Great coach, but it's Isaiah Thomas. I, yeah. I, we're, we're, there's no argument really to be made, but Chuck Daly uh, is one of the best coaches in the game of basketball, but he just doesn't have it to, to take out Isaiah. Were you guys there for the game? I know I went to it. I don't remember if you guys were there. It might have been like for my birthday or something where they retired number two for Chuck Daly. Like they retired the number two at the Palace in a game. I think it was against the Knicks and Patrick Ewing. And they retired number two. Do you remember that, or is that not remember? That right. sounds like I remember. Being, I don't remember. I, I don't remember going to that. Yeah, yeah that might have been in a game what? I was at, and that could have been it. Mm-hmm. So, but the and I know that the number is retired for him, but whether I was there for it or not, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Okay. And Brian, I know that you and I. This is a story I've shared on the the show a couple of years ago, I think. But Brian's got a personal Isaiah Thomas story too, right? 
a cringeworthy Isaiah Thomas story, yes. Me and a friend, it must have been junior high, junior high that we ended up going down to a, a ball game with um, his father, I believe. And this would have been possibly one of the years they won the championship. Um, we, the game was a blowout, so we were able to sneak down and get you know feet on wood, no big deal. Well, let me but, interrupt you. Um, let me interrupt you for one second. Is that this is like the very beginning of the palace, right? This is probably your first time going to the palace, I'm thinking? Probably. Because yeah, I, remember, I remember that you went to this game and I was jealous because I had still not gone to the Palace. It was such a tough ticket to get back then that someone going yeah. to the Pistons game at the Palace was a big deal. Yeah, and, 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 and it was. They won the championship their first year in the, in, the, in the new arena. And so they were winning right away in this gorgeous new facility, which, again, I think another thing that we didn't talk about with William Davidson, his foresight, the amenities, and, and mm -hmm. the type of uh, a leap he took into like what a modern arena looks like um, is not insignificant either. But, um, yeah, we had able to, near the end of the game, because it was such a blowout, um, some seats opened up that him and I were able to take, which was probably – you know, 15, 20 feet away from the end of the Pistons bench. And uh, Isaiah had been out of the game because obviously it was such a, you know, it was a big enough deficit and they were in a good mood, so they won. I, I remember it. And the big song at the time and part of the Pistons culture at that time, weirdly enough, the MC Hammer song, Too Legit to Quit, and the uh, hand signal that went around, went along with it and uh, happened to catch Isaiah's eye while he was on the end, did it to him. He responded back to it and gave me and my friend Chris a, uh, a thrilling story to tell in our early 40s. <laughs> well, and, and you, you mentioned, like, there was, like, T-shirts made. There were, like, Pistons that had Too Legit to Quit on the back, and it was, like, it became part of their thing, which is maybe more bad boys. Like, we had, we talked about the Ben Wallace Afro, but that people would buy. But, it, like, the, the shirt, the poster with Lambeer and Mahorn ripping the basketballs and the net. There was, obviously, the Detroit Bad Boys black shirt with the, the skull and crossbones on it. Uh, it seemed like it was a little bit more – and, of course, the Red Wings were so good at the same time that the going-to-work era was so good that maybe they kind of stole each other's thunder with April and the D a little bit. But it seemed like the bad boys were a little bit more culturally uh, ubiquitous. Like, they were a little bit more relevant culturally to Detroit maybe than the going-to-work era team was. Or am I wrong stating that incorrectly? I think you might be placing uh, the lack of, you know, more youth on it as more of the mystical quality, possibly. Mm -hmm. um, you were at the right age for that team to become such a big part of your youth, obviously. I mean, it got you down a path where you're doing the Pistons podcast daily. So um, I think that both eras were were – Fantastic, and I also think one of the things the Pistons, both these Pistons teams hold is they the lack of an absolute iconic superstar and you know perennial MVP candidate on any of these teams. They're they're one of the few teams that have actually been able to accomplish that. Yeah, unbelievable. This still have, oh, go ahead, Scott. Well, I think that the Bad Boys era being the like we're seeing now with the Jordan and the Bird and the Magic era, when that's just the golden era of the NBA, uh, it being latched onto that, I think does make it a little bit more of a it was what was going on at the time era and of course the, the big story in 04 when the pistons win everyone thinks back that was the last kobe and Shaq era it, it, it's not that people remember the pistons nationally it's yeah. they remember that that was kobe and Shaq's last last time and then of course people talk about how ugly the series was against the spurs and all that so like scott said it's it's more of a the the game was more culturally positive i guess at that point than maybe in but that yeah. wraps it up, you guys. I really appreciate taking the time to do this. I know you're really busy during quarantine 
like we all are. But uh, I'm Brian, go not safe. yeah, right. Of course, keep the keep the quarantine beard going. Uh, Brian and uh, Scott, my two older brothers. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thanks again to my big brothers, Brian Shook and Scott Shook, for joining us here on the Lockdown Pistons podcast. What a great way to start the month of May here on the Lockdown Pistons podcast. But I'm looking for people to help us out with the real tough decisions of cutting down the final four into the championship matchups. That's right. We got one seeds across the board, as it should be. There are NCAA tournaments sometimes where all the one seeds advance to the final four, so doesn't bother me, but of course... No more seating to influence the rest of the time. We've got four icons of the Detroit Pistons era, and it comes down to the two leaders of each of the two teams uh, that represent the most and best lore in Pistons history. And a reasonable argument can be made for all four of these guys to win the championship, and we'll see how it all turns out. So that'll do it for the Locked on Pistons podcast for the week. So I appreciate you guys staying with us. Uh, through this time and all that jazz as well. Thanks again to my brothers, Brian and Scott, for joining us. And this is your host, Matt Shook. That wraps up this edition of Lockdown Pistons. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown Fantasy Basketball. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.